Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. Well, would you like an episode? I would love an episode. Well, let's give you an episode. Okay. Of Color Me Dead podcast. What episode is it? I don't know. 144. It's 144, I think. 144. Maybe don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure. Okay. Well, if you want to join us on social media, you can. We have a Facebook page. We also have a Facebook group page for Color Me Dead podcast. You can find us at Color Me Dead pod on Twitter. If you reach out to us on Twitter and you feel ignored, you're not on purpose being ignored. We just don't use Twitter very often, so stick with us. Yes. If you happen to play on Instagram, you can find us at Color Me Dead podcast. You can follow me. Color Me Dead Angel, or I am Gory underscore Nikki underscore. <laughs> wow. You guys can find us at uh, ageofradio.org slash Color Me Dead. You can go there, listen to our episodes, check out our sponsors, shop the bazaar, and go hunting for even cooler podcasts than ours. I'm there sure aren't you'll... any, but if you would like to try, <laughs> you should start there and listen to our sister podcasts. <laughs> there are some pretty bitchin' ones on there, though. Dude, home video hustle is fucking killing it lately. <laughs> While you're on the Age of Radio page, you'll see a Patreon button that you can click if you would like to donate to our Patreon, or you can go to Color Me Dead. Nope. You can go to <laughs> patreon.com slash Color Me Dead podcast. And that is the correct final answer of where you will find us. You can donate anything from a dollar to $75. You get stickers at the beginning tier, and it goes all the way up to hoodies and cups and all kinds of shit up to 75 And you get so-so's pretty much weekly if I put them out on time, which I'm trying to be really good about that. Hey, and, 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 and oh, oh, and ad-free episodes that are usually early. Yeah. And Not very early sometimes. But. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Um, I know a lot of yes. people. I know a lot of people hit some hard times, dude, and and they had to drop their Patreon. Um, but it blows my mind how many people would just like lower their tier, and as soon as they could, they would go back. Yeah. Or, you know, and for every person that stuck with us through the COVID shit, my dad dying, Nikki moving, like just life kicking our trash around the yard. Yeah. Um, thank you guys so much for for supporting us. We really appreciate that shit we've got keychains going out to anybody five dollars above oh we do we see them too they're adorable they're custom made just they're patreon only like nobody else gets the option to get these except for patreon i've already sent out some like anybody that was new before the last month like there was like four months or so there that i hadn't sent any out they all went out and then i'm gonna do keychains i'm going to be putting together a christmas sticker we so we are we are what did i say i i was gonna make one like create one oh you're gonna create one i'm like but can't we do it together so i i had taken uh (laughs) no just kidding uh we had put out a, a christmas sticker one year and it was really dope and um that was awesome it really was and i kind of want to find something perhaps even find an artist who is cool with sharing the image because i'm not going to be making any money off of it and they'll get a little bit of exposure but yeah they're just exposure because exposure exposure pays your bills right all right maybe i'll give you some money on top of it maybe we should put out a christmas 
Christmas sticker. Christmas sticker challenge. Challenge. What else would you call it? I don't know. P- a contest? But maybe we should put it out there as like a sticker oh, contest yeah. competition challenge and have somebody put together like a really good Christmas sticker. We want it all entries by October 31st. I think I feel like that's fair because then we got to have them printed and yeah. sent. Yeah, because we can get them printed pretty fast and yeah. get them sent out in December. Those will go to all Patreons. Only but Patreon. Only Patreons, but anybody can enter the contest. And it's only a dollar if you want the stickers. First tier. First uh, one dollar. If you guys are looking to get some merch, you can do so at... ColorMeDeadPod.Threadless.com Also, if you guys want to send us anything, you can do so because we have a P.O. Box. And it yeah. is P.O. Box. 1610 Vernal, Utah 84078 We just got mail in our fan box that sat there for a moment. I'm very sorry, but we got it. Hey, thank you for the shirt. Yes. Yes. So today, what we are covering is uh, we are doing death row inmates that you may or may not know. Um, I tried to find some uh, tried to find some good ones, and I think that I did. Would you like to hear about it? You like to hear it? Here you go. I would love to hear about it. All right. So, Andre Thomas, born in 1983, is a convicted murderer and death row inmate from Grayson County, Texas. He murdered his estranged wife and two young children. While in custody, he physically removed both of his eyes and ate one. I don't like that. I'm, but are they like grapes, do you think? Is it like a warm grape or is it more like a cherry tomato? Like a cherry tomato, I bet. Because there's a lot of fluid in your eye. Well, I know. I don't know. Because grapes are pretty juicy. So, pulls out both of his eyes, pops one in his mouth, chews it up. I don't like it. The bizarre nature of his crimes and then his self-injurious behavior have caused many people to question his sanity and thus the appropriateness of executing him, right? Because if a person is not mentally sound, correct? He's clearly not mentally sound. Um, mm. on March 27th, 2004, Thomas stabbed to death his 20-year-old estranged wife, their 4-year-old son, and their 13-month-old daughter in his wife's home. He used a different knife to murder each one of the what family the members. Fuck? Uh-huh. Which he explained to authorities was so that he did not cross-contaminate their blood and allow the demons to live elsewhere. Did you like that? I didn't know that that was a rule. Where did he find that? Is there a handbook for murdering your family? Yes, and you should probably watch the movie Fallen. I don't want to With Denzel Washington. Oh, my God. okay, I'm good. Uh, Yes, tell me more. Yes, (laughs) tell me. I know, he's so pretty. Like, he's very symmetric. Have you ever noticed? He is. He's a very symmetric like good looking man mm, yep so um jesus get a handle on yourself i can't i love him the movie fallen denzel washington came out in 1998 oh 98 i know i've heard of it i just that movie kind of fucked me up and there were rules for murdering people so that demons could transfer from body to body via touch is that in is does it say that the cross-contamination in the movie i don't know i don't know now we got to watch it specifically says well okay he proceeded to cut out his children heart Mm. children's hearts and inadvertently removed a piece of his wife's lung instead of her heart he stabbed himself in the chest Uh, he didn't die so he placed the organs in his pocket and walked out of the house later oh my so later moving the hearts and that piece of lug to a 
piece of lung to a paper bag and then throwing them in the garage, he called his wife, p- wife's parents and left the voicemail. He said, um, Sherry, this is Andre. I need y'all's help. Something bad is happening to me and it keeps happening and I don't know what's going on. I need some help. I think I'm in hell. I need help. Somebody needs to come and help me. I need help bad and I'm desperate. I'm afraid to go to sleep. So when you get this message, come by the house, please. <gasps> Hello? No. He turned himself into the police and was treated and released at a local hospital and made a full confession. Five days after the murder, he removed one of his eyes with his bare hands. He was evaluated by three specialists, all who... Do you concur? I concur. I I should have just concurred. All three occurred that he (laughs) suffered from some sort of schizophrenia. Well, after 45 days in a secured mental health facility, his caretakers ruled that his mental illness was mostly substance-induced and that he was fit to stand trial. The court convicted Thomas of murder November 3rd, 2005, and he was then sentenced to death. Uh, Thomas originally was placed in the Polinsky unit where uh, Texas State Death Row Four Men is located. That was hard for me to say. I knew what I wanted. <laughs> I knew what I needed to say, but that was a lot. Um, he attempted suicide, um, this time by cutting his own throat. On December 9th, 2008, Thomas removed his left eye, rem- uh, rendering him completely blind. After removing his second eye, he ate it. Uh. He claimed the ocular ingestion was necessary to prevent the United States federal government from reading his thoughts. Oh my, is that what it takes? I've been wondering, I've been Googling, I didn't know. Well, first and foremost, don't let him give you a COVID <laughs> vaccination because there's a little chip in there yes. um, that is designed for ultimate people control uh yeah. the other thing is if you don't want them knowing you got to remove your left eye and consume it and then you're you're ready to oh. fucking roll well i'm glad you clarified the left eye it's the guy you know it's got to be the left one okay well i but yeah. make sure that you don't do it after you killed somebody and then use the same utensil make sure you use your like bare hand because so many rules. the cross i know so can, many questions. Can, can we get a handbook for this so that I can look it up just in case? <laughs> but it, you don't want to do the cross-contamination of the blood because that's how the demons, you know, live. And you, by God, you don't want any of that. So, But if you killed one person with one and then you killed the, you used the same one, but you kill them and you remove their heart, does it come out or does that one stay? I There's so many we questions. Need a, any clarification? I need a rule book. Yep. Can I get a, a referee ruling? Yeah. Judge's ruling? What is the ruling well, on the is, field? The ruling on the field? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So, okay. So he, he consumes his eyeball because that stops the feds from reading his thoughts. Thomas's behavior has led many, led many commentators to the state that he is not fit for execution on the grounds that he's not mentally competent. Thomas is presently awaiting execution and is housed in the Jester unit for psychiatric evaluation and treatment. He does not have a scheduled date for execution. Something tells me, because this can happen, and I actually know somebody local that this has happened to. Spencer knows him too. Sometimes when, when a junkie loves their drugs a whole bunch... Um, sometimes you can use drugs in excess that permanently alter your state. Yeah. And I wonder if that's not what has happened to this individual. 
John Robinson has a lengthy record of criminal behavior dating back to an embezzlement in 1967 for stealing from a doctor while employed as a lab technician. Throughout the 70s, he continued to engage in white-collar crime in Kansas City while also attempting to create the image of a solid community and family-oriented person. Despite repeated crimes, he was usually given brief sentences or probation. In the early 80s, Robinson also became interested in more deviant behaviors involving himself in a sadomasochistic affairs and pineapple juice. <laughs> pineapple juice. <laughs> and the sexual torture of others in. Yeah, they, he didn't listen. Swap man, what's my safe word? He didn't listen. He's strong. In 1984, he hired a young woman, a recent high school graduate, and told her family that she would be sent out of town for training. She disappeared without a trace, and Robinson told police he knew nothing about her whereabouts. Her parents received a typewritten, signed letter stating she was fine, but did not want to see her family. The The investigation was dropped. In 1985, Robinson befriended a struggling young singled mother, singled, God, say words, young single mother in a charity scam, promising her a job and a house in Chicago. She accepted the offer and disappeared. Within weeks, he told his brother and wife that he knew of a child that they could adopt without a lot of red tape. Um, huh? Hmm? Because her mother had committed suicide. That's how we get. That's how we get the babies. Jesus fucking Christ! What are you even going on over? Because he's saying that he knew how to adopt a baby without any red tape. Oh, because the mom had committed suicide. She suicided, but she did not. No, she natural caused. She natural caused. Yeah, the baby belonged to the woman that the Robinsons had tricked, or that Robinson had tricked. She was shipped to Robinson's brother with some official-looking adoption documents for a fee of $5,500. I love how it's official-looking. You know what? They probably put lethal and shit, like, around it. Or wait, what is that called? Lethal, I think, is, like, some Lord of the Rings shit. I'm, I'm, I'm a little tired. <laughs> right. I'm a little <laughs> I can't remember which... I'm tired. It was in 1985, so it's it was... It's like leaves. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, if you put leaves around anything... Then it's official. I really feel like Lethal is like a, the armor of something. Like, was that Frodo's? I'm am I saying sure. it wrong? I have no I idea. I bet I am. That is not a word that frequents my vocabulary. Lethal. If you Mithril. Get... I am fucking doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> you can get the lethal injection where you get <laughs> injected with leafs. Mithril. Yeah, but in the eighty in eighty five, it had to be like on a typewriter, and that's official enough because not everybody just has a typewriter laying around, right? I don't know. Anyway, Robinson employed another woman. Yeah, that disappeared in nineteen eighty seven, shortly before being sent back to prison for six years on fraud charges and parole violations. While in jail, he conned the prison librarian Beverly Bonner. To divorce her husband and move to Kansas City to work for him upon his release. That sounds like a great idea. When do we leave? She must not have had a very desirable existence if a if a prisoner can talk you out of divorcing like talk you into divorcing your dude and like moving states to go work. Work. 
to be like, hey, honey, I would like a divorce. Because there's like this guy at the prison that I met, and I'm just going to go ahead and take off and work for him, Kay. You well, work out the papers? <laughs> yeah? No? Once Robinson got Beverly's mother to start sending the woman's alimony checks to a post office box he had access to, she disappeared. Funny how that works. It's like the natural cause, but the disappears. Around this time, Robinson posted and responded to personal ads for S&M relationships in a local alt-weekly. Yeah, like an alternative newspaper. Okay. All while continuing to appear as a loyal husband and father. By the early 1990s, Robinson had discovered the internet. He was like, (laughs) I think it's hilarious that it's like by the early 90s. Really, motherfucker? Because we didn't have internet until 1997. I know I was one of the like first houses to have it. Invernal. I know. I remember the dial-up. And then by the time I said, I was like, off the phone. I'm trying to get on the internet. You need to not be on the internet. I'm waiting for a phone call. Yep. God damn it. I just barely got on. Fucker. Uh, My parents, because I'm such a spoiled douchebag, and my stepdad gave me everything I've ever wanted. I had my own phone line and my own computer and TV and satellite in my room. Like, for all intents and purposes, I never had to come out of my bedroom if I didn't want to. Unless you needed food. And I did. I would go straight to the kitchen, which was right down the hall. Food, right into my bedroom. Wow, that's convenient. I was even, I'd like, yeah, dude. My parents were old, and like, my stepdad was old. And my they mom were like, was what do we tired. need to do to keep it yeah, quiet? Yeah, they were like, uh, just give it to her. Because for all intents and purposes, I wasn't like a bad kid. I certainly was a wild kid. I just didn't get fucking caught or hurt. So, yeah. For all anybody knows, you were just a really good kid. <clears throat> I never got, got good grades. Well, let's see. All the things. Anyway, back to the internet. He was participating in sadomasochistic chat rooms using the handle Slave Master. He lured several women into his orbit, and they all subsequently disappeared, including a Polish college student who signed a 115-item slave contract that gave Robinson complete control of both her and her finances. She disappeared in 1999. In June of 2000, Robinson was charged with sexual battery and the theft for his interactions with some of his internet victims. Police got search warrants for his home, storage facility, and land where they discovered two bodies inside metal drums and plenty of evidence tying them to his victims. Not his victims, but victims. The victims. The victims. The. Yes. At another storage facility in Missouri, police turned up three more female bodies in barrels. All of these victims died by blunt force trauma. In 2002, Robinson was convicted for multiple murders and sentenced to death in Kansas City. Nope. In Kansas in January 2003. He was tried again in Missouri, where he had also committed crimes and pleaded guilty to five murders in order to avoid the death sentence there. Officially, he is tied to eight deaths. Unofficially, law enforcement believes he has murdered many other victims. Robinson awaits execution in Kansas, but is appealing his death sentence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good luck, buddy. So, you ready for another one? I am. You want to hear a story? Tell me a story. About somebody on death row? Yes. Mary. Well, on June 2nd, 1991, 23-year-old Denise Huber attended a Morrissey concert. There's your first fucking mistake. 
Morrissey. In Los Angeles, she was last seen by her girlfriends when she left a Long Beach bar in the early morning, intent on driving to her parents' home, where she also lived. The next morning, her parents discovered that she had not come home, and they notified the police. A friend of Denise's found a disabled car on a nearby Orange County freeway, the battery drained by its emergency flashers that were activated the night before. For three years, police and parents had no idea what had happened to Denise. On July 13, 1994, a woman in a residence in Prescott, Arizona, Arizona, sought to purchase paint from a man named John Famalero. And I'm sure that I am pronouncing that horribly. Famalaro. 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 I'm sticking with sure it. the F is silent. Just <laughs> it's actually pronounced. Uh, while picking up the paint, she noticed a rental truck parked in the rear of the driveway that clearly had been there for some time and, quite frankly, looks pretty suspicious. She took down the license plate number and had the sheriff's department run it. The plate came back as stolen from Orange County, California. When a deputy knocked on Falamaro's front door and got no answer. He also noticed an electric cord running to a freezer in the truck. Thinking that he'd stumbled across a mobile drug lab, the uh, deputy got a lock... Wow, fuck you, mouth. Got a locksmith to open the back of the truck. When he lifted the lid, he found the body of a young female, naked, handcuffed, and wrapped in garbage bags. It turned out to be Denise Huber. Oh, God. Famalaro likely kidnapped Denise from the freeway and then took her to his deserted warehouse business location where he raped and killed her. Denise's skull was badly battered. Famalaro was convicted and sentenced to death in 1997. He currently resides on death row in California. I hear the view is lovely there. <laughs> I don't know. Damn. But how creepy is that? Just like came over to, to buy paint. And you've got a weird rental truck in the back. Looks kind of suspicious. I'm going to call the police. Police find the body of a missing girl. How long has she been missing? So that all went down in 1991. And her body was found, looks like, three years later in 94. Almost four Damn. years to the date. Or three years to the date. Ugh. I know. That, how did the neighbors not call that in? Like, this smells bad. Well, she was in a freezer. And oh. the freezer was plugged in, so okay. there wouldn't have been a smell. No but smell. Like, how, aren't you going to have some questions about your, well, and it was at a remote business location. Mm. So that's how we went undiscovered. All it took was for one Karen to notice that that looks odd. It has nothing to do with the paint that I'm buying, but I'm going to be a nosy bitch and call it into the police. This is weird. It's been here. I need you to go check it out. Hi, okay. what's your name? What's the registration on the vehicle? Do you live here? Because that's kind of how I envision this all going down. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, but, and look, and then she gets to pat herself on the back for being a good citizen. Right? Karen's yeah. win again. God damn it. Richard Wade Farley was born July 25th, 1948. He's an American convicted mass murderer. A formal, formal, very formal. He was a very formal employee. Um, he really liked wearing tuxedos. Even Every though it wasn't day. required. Nope. A former employee of ESL Incorporated in Sunnyvale, California, he stalked his co-worker, Laura Black, for four years, beginning in 1984. From the moment that Richard Farley met his co-worker, Laura Black, in 1984, he became immediately obsessed with her. They both worked for a Silicon Valley technology firm. In 1984, there was technology? What? 
Just kidding. <laughs> Farley began to pester her for dates. She politely refused. He started to leave letters and gifts and drive by her home and follow her to the gym. Because before social media, right. that's how we had to stalk people. There wasn't, yeah, There like, was effort put into it. Yeah, you actually had to leave your house to stalk somebody. You couldn't just see if they were active on Facebook. <laughs> he that's fucked up, dude. It's true, though. I My remember. brother does that to, like, find me. Like, he can always tell if I'm, like, if I haven't been active on Facebook for, like, six, seven hours, I might be at work. But anything more than that, she's sleeping. Yep. Yep. Um, he harassed her at the office and on the street, becoming more and more threatening. Farley was terminated by the company in 1986, but continued to stalk Black until she got a temporary restraining order. Restraining order. Jesus Black Christ. obtained a temporary restraining order again. Against him on February 2nd, 1988, with a court date set for February 17th, 1988, to make the order permanent. On February 16th of 1988, Richard Farley shot and killed seven people at ESL and wounded four others, including Laura Black. He was facing foreclosure, and on the day before a hearing to make the restraining order permanent, Farley drove his motor home to his former company, armed, indiscriminately killing anyone who he encountered with a shotgun and other firearms. When he got to Lara Black's office, he slammed the door. Oh, sorry. She slammed the door in his face. He blew it off its hinges. Yeah. He blew it off its hinges and fired, hitting her in the shoulder and punctured one of her lungs. He was convicted of seven counts of first-degree murder and is currently on death row at San Quentin. That sounds like a nice fella. I just misunderstood. <laughs> he just wanted a date, goddammit. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, this is why it's important to instill in your sons that no means no. Don't keep fucking going about it. No means no. And that just because you asked a woman on a date does not mean she has to go on a date with you. No, it's allowed. She's allowed to not like you. So. And it's the same either way. Either way. Man, woman. Either either way, some of you some of you motherfuckers raising your entitled little princesses. The 1982 Wilkes Bar shooting was a killing spree in the United States carried out by George Emil Banks. He was born June 22, 1942. A former Camp Hill prison guard, Banks shot 13 people to death on September 25, 1982, in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania, in the Jink and Jenkins. J- wow, Leroy <laughs> Jenkins. Jenkins. <laughs> God, get it out. Um, in the Jenkins Township, including seven children, five being his own, their mothers, and some of their relatives, and one other bystander. Damn. You ready? I don't know. (laughs) Because of his erratic and violent behavior, he was placed on a leave and subjected to a mental health evaluation. A few weeks later, after an evening at a party, Banks used an assault rifle to kill eight people in his own home, including three women who were the mothers of his children and five children, four of them his. Outside, he shot two neighbors, killing one. He then went into another girlfriend's trailer and killed her, his son by her, his girlfriend's mother, and his girlfriend's nephew. He shot his girlfriend's brother, brothers, both his brother, both his girlfriend's brothers, but they survived. Mm. After a standoff, Banks surrendered. He was charged with 13 murders, and in explanation, he told the police he did not want his children, who were biracial, to be victimized in a race war. 
Banks incoherently testified at his own trial and claimed that the police killed his victims during the spree. He had only wounded them. Oh. This, despite the fact he had shot some of his own children at point-blank range in the head. That was the police. Policia did that. His attorneys argued for the, the insanity defense, but following his trial before jurors, um, Allegheny County uh, and presided over the Luzerne County Common Pleas Judge Patrick J. Toole Jr. Fucking mouthful. Banks was convicted of 12 counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. On November 29th in 1990, the Pennsylvania State Legislature barred further use of the electric chair... (laughs) Electric chair amid debate that electrocution was cruel and unusual punishment. It approved execution by lethal lethal injection. Banks' case was appealed, and on December 2nd of 2004, he received a stay of execution following a determination that he was incoherent, incoherent, for fuck's sake, man, get your shit together, pull your finger out of your mouth. (laughs) He was incompetent for execution. On May 12th of 2010, Luzerne County Common Pleas Judge Josh... Joshmo. Joseph Agallo. Agello. Agello. I'd like Agello, please. <laughs> Agello, I'll bet. Joseph Agello declared Banks was incompetent to be executed following a comp- competency hearing that had been held. Held. Whoa. The next month. My God. The, My mouth has fucking betrayed me. It's the previous month. Following held the previous month. Um, Leah saying, My mouth has betrayed me. It's gone and gone rogue. I know it. It's fucking shit up. Okay. September 8th of 1992. Scott Panetti shaved his head donned military garb and drove to his in-laws in South Texas no drove to his in-laws South Texas home where his estranged wife lived with their baby daughter he broke into the house and shot his father and mother-in-law to death he took his wife and baby hostage but he ultimately released them Panetti's wife had left him over abuse that occurred throughout their marriage as well as their as other strange behavior Panetti had extensive history of psychiatric hospitalization and was a diagnosed schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. Some of his behaviors include burying his furniture because he thought the devil was in it and nailing the shades in paranoia, believing that his neighbors wanted to film him were among things that he did. In the courtroom where he was prosecuted, he dressed in flamboyant purple cowboy that sounds amazing. <laughs> I didn't even know, like, how to address that. Like, what does a flamboyant purple cowboy look like? I mean, I have a pretty good idea. The nice purple suit. With, like, fringe. And a purple hat that matches yeah. perfectly. And, like, a really, really loud bolo tie. Yeah. Yeah. And boots. Offering long, rambling, incoherent legal arguments, he attempted to subpoena everyone from Anne Bancroft to the Pope. (laughs) Ultimately, he was sentenced to death on September 22, 1995. Needless to say, litigation over Panetti's competence to represent himself and his eligibility 
to be executed have pinballed throughout the court system. He came very close to execution in 2014, but received a stay. He currently remains on death row. Did, did they let him keep the purple flamboyant? I don't know if that's something that they would allow you to have. I feel like that they should make an exception. Panetti versus Quarterman, 551 U.S. 930, 2007, is a decision by the Supreme Court of the United States ruling that criminal defendants sentenced to death may not be executed if they do not understand the reason for their imminent execution, and that once the state has set an execution date, death row inmates may litigate their competency to be executed in habeas corpus habeas corpus corpus proceedings how did you not know that like habeas corpus should be something that you said it like legally blonde yeah and due to the habeas corpus as soon as you said it i was like yeah i know what that is i just like to make shit awkward um habeas corpus proceedings this decision was reaffirmed the Oh, this decision reaffirmed the court's prior holdings in Ford versus Wainwright and Stewart versus Martinez. Ver- v- last name that I cannot say. Martinez Villarreal. That. I was trying to make it more than it was. Mm, a little bit. Well, how about Blanche Taylor Moore? Not like Mary Tyler Moore. Not like Mary Tyler Moore. Just a Blanche Taylor Moore. Married her first husband in 1952. In 1973, her husband died, supposedly, of a heart attack. He natural caused. You guys need to remember this. Oh, no. It was natural. <laughs> so he died. Oh, no. Oh, no. He natural caused. It's gone and happened again. Oh, fucking happened some more. So he supposedly died of a heart attack. In 1985, she began to date another man, Reverend Dwight Moore, and married him in 1989. He became very ill after eating something his wife had prepared soon after their honeymoon and quickly had to be hospitalized with symptoms that baffled the doctors. When they got the result, results Hmm. when they got the results of his toxicology screen they found the minister to have a hundred times the expected level of arsenic in his system before before and during her marriage to dwight moore blanche was also dating a co-worker who repeatedly came ill and was finally killed seemingly from julian julian bar syndrome he was later to found a high level of arsenic in his body After Dwight's hospitalization, North Carolina State Police investigated Blanche Moore, exhumed many bodies that were connected to her, and the bodies of her father and mother-in-law were also to have high but not fatal levels of arsenic in in them. The bodies of her first husband and boyfriend had clearly been killed with the uh, with the poisoning she was charged with two counts of murder and the poisoning of dwight moore she was convicted and received the death penalty in 1990 but granted a stay of execution she has claimed her innocence throughout her prosecution and her incarceration as of 19 excuse me as of 2019 this black widow is the oldest female on north carolina's death row that's very interesting in November of 2004, Tom and Jackie Hawks were spending their retirement. Tom and Jerry were spending their retirement cruise. Uh, did I say Jerry? No, okay. Right. <laughs> you really thought that I was coming in to correct you. No, you said it right. I'm sorry. 
Well, and then when you said Tom and Jerry, I was like, I think I said Tom and Jerry. (laughs) You didn't. It was me. (laughs) Tom and Jackie Hawks were spending their retirement cruise, cruising the Sea of Cortez and the Pacific Ocean in their yacht. They decided to return to Prescott, Arizona to be near their first grandchild. To begin this transition, they placed an advertisement in a local boating magazine offering the vessel for sale at a cost of over $400,000. Jesus fucking Christ. Mm-hmm. The ad was answered by Skylar DeLeon from Long Beach, California, who was deep in debt but desperate for a houseboat for his wife. I feel you, bud. I don't have a wife, but I'm yeah, but the, a houseboat sounds amazing. Anyway, for his wife, Jennifer, and their children. The Hawks were skeptical that such a young person would have the assets to buy their boat. But when DeLeon returned for a second meeting and brought along his pregnant wife and daughter, they reasoned that his intentions were at least sincere. The couple agreed to a test run with DeLeon, along with two other men, one claiming to be DeLeon's accountant, with finger quotes. Finger quotes, accountant! The accountant was actually John Kennedy, a hired member of a Long Beach street gang, who, with the third accomplice, Alonzo Machain. Jesus. Wow. I like it that way. Machain! Machain! fought Tom Hawks, and finally subdued him. They restrained Tom and Jackie and forced them to sign documents of sale of the cabin cruiser and a document giving over power of attorney to DeLeon. After they signed, DeLeon bound them together with an anchor and tossed them overboard. The couple drowned in the darkness of the Pacific Ocean. With the Hawks... Oh, God, that gave me so much anxiety. Fuck. (laughs) I didn't like that. That was like a full body... (laughs) No, thank you. With the Hawks missing and their boat tied back at the dock in a careless manner, police were led to Skylar DeLeon and found significant evidence of the crime. And in the end, Alonzo, last name I can't say, Machain. 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 Quickly cut a deal for 20 years in prison with a confession that gave specific information implicating DeLeon, his wife, and John Kennedy. The three were convicted of first-degree murder. DeLeon and Kennedy were sentenced to death, and the now-divorced Jennifer DeLeon Henderson got life without parole, avoiding the death row fate of her ex-husband and Kennedy. So she got to have the baby in the clink yep. and give it up. Yep. That would suck. Don't make bad choices. Don't be a dickhead. Right. Why are you being a dickhead for? Why you gotta do that? Why you being a dickhead for? So, Wesley Shermantine and Lauren Herzog grew up as childhood friends, and some believe they committed crimes together throughout their early early life. However, it was not until 1999 when Cindy Van Der Heden disappeared after a night out with the pair in the San Joaquin Valley region of California that Shermantine and Sir Hog, Herzog received official scrutiny. Vanderheden's DNA was found in bloodstains in Shermantine's car. Can we get some more fucking heinous last names to work with throughout this? Because I feel like these aren't difficult enough. Yeah, was this a test? It perhaps. I failed. Fuck off. <laughs> so the bloodstains found in Shermantine's car and in and, blah, 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 blah. meticulous. 
So Vander Heden's DNA was found in bloodstains in Shermantine's car, and the pair were arrested. In 2001, Shermantine was convicted of four murders, including three that took place in the mid-1980s, and he was sentenced to death. Herzog was convicted of three murders and paroled in 2010 because he apparently in like said that his confession to the killings was coerced. Oh. After parole, Herzog wound up in a trailer near a remote California state prison. Shermantine, angry that he was looking at execution while Herzog was out of prison and upset with the media portrayal of the case, he started writing as many letters as he could to local news stations, implicating himself and Herzog in many more murders and blaming most of the deaths on Herzog. He offered to reveal where the bu- where the buried where the birdies birdies were bodies to reveal where they buried the bodies her burger it's a cup of dirt (laughs) get your fucking mouth open herzog hanged himself in his trailer when he learned about all of this based on sherman teen's information thousands of bones were found from other victims wesley sherman teen still faces death sentence and is on death row at san quentin Oh. He's like, you know what? I'd rather not go back, so bye. You know of some inmates on death row that you may or may not have known about before. But now you know. And knowing's half the battle. And you can't say their last names because they're all fucked. Do you think that's why they're hateful? Perhaps. They act like this. Because it was like, hard Fuck to... my last name. Yeah, dude. Because it was hard to be in kindergarten where everybody's learning to spell their last name yeah. and your last name is seven fucking syllables. Remember that kid that sat next to me? His last name was fucking Smith. <laughs> Laugh now, bitch. When your last name's Shermantine, <laughs> Louise, or Vanderheden. I always felt so bad for my little brother and sister learning how to write Breitenbach. For real. I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I lucked out there. Mine was easy. Double letters. It was pretty M-E-R-R-E-L-L. simple. M-E-R-R-E-L-L. Yeah, N-I-K-K-I. M-E-R-R-E-L-L. A-N-G-E-L. P-R-U-P. You're the one that he hate. they hate. I know, for They're real. Like, this I had Prue really... bitch is sitting here. Angel. Angel. Prue. Prue. And I'm out. Um, I did, like, one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life was Mrs. Dye. She was a fifth grade teacher over there in Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. She must have had a brain her. fart, but she wrote my name A-N-J-E-L once, and I was like, the fuck? Of all the ways you could have misspelled that, that's how you picked to do it? That's weird. Right, I can't imagine your name getting misspelled often. Angle. Angle. I get yeah. angle a lot. I usually do that on a mistype. Like, like, dude, even my own granny sent me birthday cards clear up until I was like 17 years old that said happy birthday angle. Are you serious? Dead fucking serious. Ask my brothers. My own grandmother didn't know how to spell my fucking but name. But she got unnamed Prue Child's name right. Fuck. So, don't, don't. pull your eyes out. Ah. Don't cross-contaminate. That's what I was going to say. Don't cross-contaminate. And uh, stay Stay out of chalk lines. lines. Goodbye. Goodbye. That was a fun little episode.